involved in the process of forming the faith of people and helping people move from converts to disciples and that long, long journey in between. I like the term a well-formed follower. It is a disciple, but something about it, it seems to make, like words matter and our culture has changed. So our hope and our desire is that each of us will be a well-formed follower of Jesus. Um, Being a well-formed follower of Jesus is a slow process. It's not fast. Um, it's, It's choosing to say yes or okay each day as you hear the Spirit. It's relying heavily on the Spirit to guide you and to listen. And it's taking the time to slow down, to, to unplug, and to listen and say, okay, 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 yes. And over and over again, you begin to grow and become a well-formed person. One example I I love for myself of God moving me to be a well-formed person. And those look so different. Jamie and I got away with two friends at a cabin during COVID. And we were sitting there and Heather, my friend's telling me all about a friend of theirs who spends the morning like in a long extended time of silence all by himself. And he just sits there and she's like, isn't that amazing? And, and she's telling me how wise this person is and how crazy it is and who could do that. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's what I want you to do. That's to be who I am asking you to be. That is what you are going to have to learn how to do. I didn't come home from that weekend and start taking extended time with God. It didn't start. But something in me said, okay. God said, that's what I want from you. I said, Okay. And then a few years later, I am in a soul formation program, and they are teaching me how to spend 20 minutes in quiet with Jesus. And I began with five and 10. Each of us here in different times, you will hear an invitation from the Holy Spirit. Take a break from Instagram. Go sit and stare at the stars. Take five minutes and put everything away and just listen to me. And the way you become a well-formed person, or things like this. Have you had this? I want you to read the book of John right now. Or right now, your time is the Psalms. Don't let go of them until I tell you to let go of the Psalms. And when you say, okay, okay, I'll give it a try. That is how you become a well-formed follower and a disciple of Jesus. And it is a slow, gracious process. But it's a biblical process. Yes. It is something that is deeply, deeply biblical. And as I was ponder, post, processing, processing, pondering, both. ponderessing hmm. this, uh, this message and thinking about this and like what God has called. And really, this is a big question. What has God called you to? Because sometimes we forget, right? You ever forgot what you're about? Mm-hmm. Like what you're here for? Like what you're to do mm-hmm. and be? And, and it was kind of like, I, I think I feel like I kind of forgot. And this passage kept coming up for me, and it's Galatians 4.19. Very, very short, and it's going to be on the screen. Galatians 4.19, and we're going to form the rest of the message around this little short verse. And this is what Paul is saying. So he's actually, he's talking to the people of Galatia. So that's the book of Galatians. It's a place over near Turkey. And uh, he had been there. He planted a church. People came to faith. They were growing and thriving. Then he left to go plant another church. And somebody came in and said, no, 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 no. You aren't saved because of Jesus. You're saved by doing all the works of the law. This is a Jewish thing. You have to do the law. 
And uh, Paul was like, oh, no, this, is, this isn't going the way it's supposed to go because we believe that we are saved by faith alone through the work of Jesus alone. And uh, so he, he's writing this letter to them. He's challenging those thoughts. He is building a, a theology of truth around it. And he says this to the Galatians in 419. He says, My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And I'd say that's like, I don't know if it's my life verse, but it feels like my verse of ministry, um, especially in this season that I see those that God has given me and Heidi to lead and to love and to serve in some ways as the children in whom I am in pain for, like in childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. And I think that there's kind of big, three big things in here. Is it's, it, the first word, though, is formed. We don't really think much about the word formed in our culture. I'm sitting here playing with this piece of clay. I don't know if you guys noticed me being completely distracting with it. I was really shocked I didn't reach over and grab my hand and take it from me because she would do that. Look what I made. It's a snake. Clearly, I'm really good at forming things, right? We are, as children, there's a picture up here of some kids playing with Play-Doh. And uh, you know, even early, early on, we give children things like this, clay, to take and form and mold and play with. It's, it's innate in us as human beings to want to play and shape and form things. Uh, it feels good to stick your hands into wet mud and to make something. Uh, it's a part of how we're designed as human beings to join God in His ongoing creation. It's good. But I think we do get it a little bit wrong because in our culture, in our day, many of us believe that we are the masters of our destiny that we are the ones who shape and mold our future. We are told from the time that we are this kid's age in this picture that you someday could be the president of the United States. You someday, and you, you know, it's all about forming your destiny, forming your future. But the reality is, is that that's not scriptural at all. That we aren't the ones who form, but it is God who forms. Favorite book of the Bible, Genesis, right? My favorite book of the Bible. I recently heard somebody say, everything you need to know about human beings, you can learn in the first three pages of the Bible. It's, it's phenomenal. And uh, in Genesis 2, this is like the second page of the Bible, it says this, Genesis 2, 7, and God formed the Adam from the dust of the earth and breathed life into his nostrils. Then the Lord God formed the Adam. And so when I say the Adam, the, the Hebrew actually there is, it's genderless. It, it's male and female together, one creature. God formed the Adam, it's the human, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the Adam became a living being. God formed from the very beginning, from the very first pages of the Bible, we are formed. The forming is being done to us. We are a people who are continually being formed, all the time, formed and shaped, there are powerful forces in the universe, and I don't usually like to use that language, but in the universe, in this whole world, there are powerful, powerful forces at work shaping you actively, even right now. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, the struggle we face is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the peers of this, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's like a whole list of, of categories of, of things that form us. It starts with birth. 
Science teaches us that when we are born, we come out a blank slate, and we are looking for somebody looking for us to begin to be formed. So when a mother stares, and I remember Heidi doing this with all three of our kids, baby is born, I'm relieved, Heidi's panting, they put the baby on Heidi's tummy, and they look at each other. And there's this moment or this connection. It's like, and what's going on is the baby is looking to the mom to understand what's safe, what's not safe, what feels good, what feels bad, what makes me happy, what makes me sad. We are learning all of that being formed just by looking in the eyes of our mother. And it's not just birth, it's the whole family. Our experience in our family, the first 18 years of life, is one of the most traumatic experiences you'll ever have, and you'll spend the rest of your life untangling that sucker, right? <laughs> How many of you know that to be true? 19-year-olds? Uh, so, oh, great, we got 12-year-olds knowing this, right? Oh, yeah. and, and it's my 12-year-old <laughs> that knows this. It's a traumatic experience, but we, we receive scripts, you know, unspoken rules about what's important, what's honorable, how to treat women, how to treat men, what task each gender should be doing at home. There's so much that comes along with the family. And these things have all formed us, how we're going to move through the world, how we're going to vote, how we're going to think. It might even be that we rebel against those things, but it still formed us and shaped us. Our nationality forms us. Some of us come, we have a guy from Haiti today. We have a guy who grew up in Brazil. We've got people from all over the United States, different cultures, Mexican cultures, Hispanic cultures. All of these, these things, our nationality defines us. They define how we vote, how we think about refugees, how we think about entitlements, all the things that go on in our government. All of that stuff has been formed. And then our culture, the advertisements we watch, the movies we see, the products we consume, the people we listen to, they all tell us what's important, what's ultimate, whether it's best to speak out or keep our mouths shut, whether it's appropriate to do with our bodies in relationship to one another, all of this stuff, we've been formed. So the question is not, am I formed? Because a lot of people are like, ah, I've not been formed. I'm the master of my destiny. That is not true. You have been formed. The question is, what is forming you? I know. I was like, wow, I think he's going to do this sermon by himself. Just totally Just fine. That, part. <laughs> that was a totally big part. fine. Um, so the passages I was looking at when Jamie was talking about we're being so it's interesting. You say God is forming us, yes, and I choose what I will sow. Right. So God is forming me. It's that it's that hard balance of like grace, right? It's all grace, and because of God's grace, I will do something. So I was looking further on in Galatians 6. I'm going to read the verses here, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at harvest time, if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. So it's like what Jamie said. It's not if you're being formed. You're like, well, I'm not really making decisions right now. I'm not. But it's what. There is this prayer in my daily office that we're doing, some of us are doing here, about a week and a half ago. And it says, Lord, it's not a question of if anything is growing in my life, but what. Think about that. What is growing? Help me to know that the root of what I see in my life is found 
and the quiet planting, listen to these things, of thoughts, words, looks, what I'm looking at, how I look at people, desires and gestures guide me to examine those quiet, hidden places of my life and so the Spirit so that my life contributes to the growth of your good kingdom for all to see and enjoy. That's what a well-formed life is. It's a life that other people can enjoy and experience joy being with you. They, they experience the Spirit. Because you have sown the Spirit, people can sense the Spirit in your life. Rather, instead, you can sow selfishness. You can sow, sow, that's a tricky one to say, sow deceit. Whatever you're sowing, people will sense it and feel it when they're with you. There is a beauty from a well-formed life. Jamie, you used the verse that maybe we're familiar with if we're from the church. Ephesians 6.12. And it talks about the principalities and the powers. And I have found it confusing Maybe if I came from somewhere where you're like, it's in your face. Like there's Africans. We had uh, Stephen, who's a pastor here from it. He, he wasn't confused so much by this verse. But sometimes I am. And sometimes I need a reminder that there is more going on than I can see. Kurt Thompson is a Christian psychiatrist that I really love his podcast. It's called On On Being, On Becoming, Being, oh boy. It's really good. Kurt Thompson. But he out. says this. He says, evil is coming to take you out. Evil is coming to take you down. And I found it surprising when he said that because he's kind of like heady, right? He's a psychiatrist. He's like, evil is coming at you. And I've really appreciated the way he teaches it because a lot of it is in your head. A lot of that evil is coming to you in your head and what you see and how you respond to yourself, um, how you, it's coming to take you down emotionally. It's coming to take you down mentally and spiritually. There it is. Being, Being known, known podcast. podcast. So good if you like that sort of things. He is brilliant and so wise. He is a well-formed human being. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about what it looks like. Okay. What, what defining kind of a well-formed human being. The passage that we're looking at in Ephesians says, you know, Paul says, until Christ is formed in you. Um, and it's formed, it's the next, I think it's the next one, but whatever, that's fine. Until Christ is formed in you. And it's kind of confusing because we look at that and we're like, well, I, I kind of want to be Jamie. I don't want to be Jesus. Mm. You know, I kind of want to be Doug. I don't want to be Jesus. I, I want to be me. And I think that's really what, this is all about. It's about being formed into the most authentic, free, fully alive, joyful version of yourself. It's, it's allowing God to form you and shape you in the way that you were intended to be formed and shaped, into the fullness of who you are. And that's just like Jesus. That's who Jesus was, an authentic, free, fully alive, full of joy, full of God's power, human being, that walked the earth and did amazing things, and everybody liked him because of it. Well, not everybody. Yeah, he no, did have his enemies. No. He did have his and enemies. fewer and fewer like people followed him and liked fewer him. Fewer and fewer. Yeah, but what? generally speaking, then, in the early days of his ministry, people really liked him. And even today, 
people really like Jesus. I mean, Mahatma Gandhi, great example, right? I love your Jesus. I don't really like your Christians because they don't look like Jesus. Even today, people are like, yeah, Jesus is cool. Jesus is great. Church is dumb. Christians are horrible. Christians are judgy, but Jesus is cool. I think if you were to poll 100 people at random and you were to ask them, would you like to live in a world that is full of goodness and beauty and love, what do you think they'd answer? Just uh, Let's say there's 100 people in this room. Would you like to live in a world full of beauty, goodness, and love? Yes. Does anybody not want to live in there? Okay, 100%, right? 100%. We all want. What about this? What, wouldn't you love in your own life? Just think about this. Apart from religion, apart from Scripture, wouldn't you love to have in your life more love, more joyfulness, peace in the face of anxiety, a gentleness about you that gets at, you're at ease with yourself and with other people? How about self-control, the ability to do the things you want to do and to not do the things you don't want to do. How many of you would just say, yes, I would like to have those things? A hundred percent of us would say yes. You know where it falls apart? When it costs us something. (laughs) When it costs us something. So there's this idea of a well-formed life that Christ wants to form something in us, and the picture is Christ but it's going to cost us to get there. Heidi, how would you define the well-formed life? Uh, I didn't prepare for that question, although I did write it here on the notes. Uh, <laughs> Kidding. I, I see from Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, uh, learning to live by the Spirit and to follow the Spirit and to trust the Spirit. Um, discernment, growing in discernment, which is um, a life process. That's a hard one. I think I thought that when you became a Christian for a long time and you said, yes, it says to like live in the light and walk in the light. I think I thought that you wake up as a Christian and all of a sudden you're walking in the light. Yes, but, but it's actually like you're learning to move towards the light, which is Christ. And I think I thought that I would just wake up and be wise. But wisdom, I think, comes from you're given an opportunity to move towards Christ or to make a hard decision, and you say yes. And then you become a little bit more well-formed and wiser. And then you come to another point in your life where you have an opportunity to make a wise decision, and you say yes again. And so it's like a journey, and you're moving towards a well-formed life. I think that what forms us more than anything, I think what is a catalyst to being a well-formed human more than any other thing, is pain. I think how you respond to the pain in your life will be the catalyst that moves you towards looking more like Christ or, or away. I don't love this, but pain of grief, shame, rage, anger. It can disintegrate a person. Have you seen that with COVID? With light. It can disintegrate a person or it can bring out beauty, God's beauty. There are people that sit in this room who have had a lot of, the word we use now is trauma. They've had a lot of pain. And they have chosen to place themselves at Jesus' feet. 
They have chosen to take the time, and they are beautiful. They are becoming beautiful. Sherry loaned me this book that I wasn't really very excited about reading because it's called The Gift of Pain. Terrible title. And she's like, you have to read this book. It's so good. And it's been sitting there, The Gift of Pain. I'm like, I'll get to that. And she's like, did you start it yet? It's so good. And I was like, I I will because you are my very good friend and I trust you and anything. But I just sat there, The Gift of Pain. And I started reading The Gift of Pain. Any kind of pain shows us he's a medical doctor, that something is not quite right. It's a gift because he studied leprosy, pe- leprosy patients. If you don't know you're in pain, you destroy yourself. So the gift of pain, if I'm willing to move into it, um, can show me who I am, can make me rely on Christ, um, can make me see who I really am, I see people ignore pain. We ignore pain in the U.S. So in this book, there was a study of people from the U.S. and India and the U.K. And people in the U.K. are more resilient than we are, and they actually kind of get excited about hard times. But when polled, they said like during World War II, some people said it was the best time of their life because people rallied together and they supported one another and they fought for one another. Like I was like, what? And then people in India... They just assume that life is going to be hard. It's just going to be. I mean, it's hard for everybody. And so they just move on. And they have this joy and contentment in the face of agonizing pain. Americans, you guys, it's not so beautiful. We run from pain. We think as a whole that we should not experience pain. I thought this. This is totally what I thought. If I live right, I should have this life. If I do this... It should like this. And Sherry told me one time, she's like, that is so not how it works. She's like, that is ridiculous. <laughs> like, she said it in a kind of nice way, but made me be like, whoa, I think I better think about this. Um, it's ridiculous. It works for a while. It works for a while. Some, for some people, some people are like, how are you 40 and your life still is like, ta-da. But you know, someday something will happen. Um, And I think in those places, it's where we have the opportunity to lean into Jesus. I think when we come to the place like, I can't make this life work. I I can't. I can't do anything without you is when we start to becoming a well-formed person. So, yeah, I I just see Americans, like, ignoring it. I I think I've done all these. Like, my life is great. My life is fine. I have no baggage. I've done that. Like, what pain? I'm fine. Um, blame. I've blamed other people's. It's my parents' fault. That's my parents' fault. Like, or that's their fault. Well, clearly that's their fault that we're having an argument because I, uh, we distract ourselves. That's so big. Let's just be real. Binge wa- I mean, that's probably our, what do you call that? Like our drug, our American drug, distract ourselves. Um, we make things small. Like, I, I remember a gal whose life was just hellish, and she's telling me, she's like, oh, it's not a big deal. We make our pain small. And I think when you can acknowledge it and start to give it to the Holy Spirit is when you start to see beauty from the pain. So two things I wanted to draw out of what you said there. Okay. The first one was that 
to move toward a well-formed life, it's a process. Mm-hmm. And it's a lifelong process. It's not a short process. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes us our whole life. And the second one was that there is pain involved, mm-hmm. which is what Paul is talking about in this passage. He says, my beloved children in whom I am in the pain of childbirth for until Christ is formed in you. And it occurred to me that there's pain on both sides of this equation. So there's the pain of just being a human being and walking through this stuff and being formed and allowing Christ to be formed in us. There's also the pain of being in community with a bunch of people being formed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I've heard said over and over again is the church would be great if it wasn't for the people. You guys ever heard that? How many of you ever felt that? <laughs> right? You just we, we come up against people who are in their process and... Sometimes we get their anger, and sometimes we get their, their outrage. We, we, we trigger their trauma, like, unknowingly. We're like, I didn't know what, what I even said, but they went sideways. It, they're in process, too. They've been formed, too. We don't, as Heidi said, we don't start out walking in the light. We start walking toward the light. We aren't, we don't go like, I accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, and now I have joy, you know? It does not how it works. Well, you get a joy, but instead, we're often angry, you know? Do you get that? We're like, it begins with some joy, but we get anger, too. And we're filled with these things. We're learning how to handle it right. We're learning how to, to walk in our anger, to be r- angry about the right thing in the right way with the right person at the right time for the right reason. And good luck to you on that <laughs> one. I still haven't got there. You know, like we, we think we're going to, I accepted Jesus, and now I've got just peace all the time. But we actually start out with some anxiety because we have to learn to trust. Uh, we want to be patient, but we also want to get on with the process. <laughs> like, why do we have to go through this? It grows slowly, and it's a lifelong project, and sometimes we become the brunt of one another's process. And that's why this is a safe space of grace. We talk about that. This is church is a place of grace. We come and we give grace. We set boundaries sometimes. We say, you can't talk to me that way sometimes because we're a part of the process too, but it is a space of grace. I still love you. What was it you read the other day about loving your enemy and setting boundaries? Oh, my goodness. Will you remember it? I wish you would because it was so brilliant. I'll let her think. Have a second. <laughs> you can say no. I do remember, but I can't put it together well enough to. Oh, it was so good. We should have wrote that down. Sometimes preaching together is like choose your own adventure books. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, she chose that page. Well, I guess we're going to go over there. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, that's why it's like childbirth. That's why Paul uses that language, just birthing something new, and it is painful for all of us. Um, but it is good. We wanna, we're going to go to the prayer now, or do you have some, anything else you wanted to say? Back to the Choose Your Own Adventure book. Is there something else you want to add? No, no, I was leaning towards this. Right, go for it. So um, I have a book by Ted Loader that I really enjoy. His prayers are like poems. And there was one that I had read to Jamie recently, and he's like, I think this one goes with our message. And so um, I hope you got one of these on the way in. If you didn't, I think there's a few more out there. And I, I, I love prayer poems, and some of you might not, and that's okay. But I encourage you to take this this week and read it and sit with it. Maybe stuff it in a place you'll find it. I think it would be a really good tool to use before you start a quiet time with God each day. And if you already have one, you can include it. And if you don't, this would be a great place to start. You could read it 
and try five minutes, five minutes of quiet. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to hear anything. You're just like, here I am. Here I am. There's no pressure that you have to get it right or follow the rules. It's just like you just like being with someone you love or a good friend. You're just sitting there together. So I encourage you to, to read this. I think it would set up a, a heart receptive to sit with God. So we're going to read it. Um, sure, we're going to read it together. And I'll read it. So if you have it, I encourage you, especially if you're visual. I'm super visual. Hard to stay focused if I can't read something. And we do have this on the screen. So yeah, Larry, so Larry up, will follow gather it along. Me now. There it is. Gather me now. Oh, God, gather me now to be with you as you are with me. Soothe my tiredness. Quiet my fretfulness. Curb my aimlessness. Receive my compulsiveness. And let me be easy for a moment. O Lord, release me from my fears and guilt, which grip me so tightly, from the expectations and opinions which I so tightly grip, that I may be open to receiving, to learn something refreshingly different. O God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Forgive me for claiming so much for myself that I leave no room for gratitude, for confusing exercises in self-importance with acceptance of self-worth for complaining so much of my burdens that I become a burden, for competing against others so insidiously that I stifle celebrating them and receiving your blessing through their gifts. Oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. Keep me in touch with myself, with my needs, my anxieties, my angers, my pains, my corruptions, that I may claim them as my own rather than blame them on someone else. O Lord, deepen my wounds into wisdom. Shape my weakness into compassion. Gentle my envy into enjoyment. My fear into trust. My guilt into honesty. My accusing finger and the tender ones. Oh God, gather me to be with you as you are with me. <laughs>